Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Even the Score podcast, a podcast about soundtracks and scores from movies, TV shows, and video games. I am, of course, your host, Don, and I am, as always, joined by my co-host, Anthony and Jason. Hello to you both. Ah, uh, diddly how. Hey, how's it going? So we are back again with another one of our summer masterclass series. We've gone through two specifically. So Anthony gave us his masterclass on horror. Jason gave us his masterclass on anime. Uh, so we're looking at one movie focused, one TV focused. So I am going to give my video game masterclass on the music of RPGs, specifically around the Squaresoft, Square Enix video game era. So I think that is what we will kick in into here in a little bit. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of my personal history with RPGs, specifically the Final Fantasy series uh, and the soundtracks that accompanied those fantastic video games. And then we're going to go a little bit into some more specifics around the soundtracks of those games, specifically looking at the uh, big bad endgame boss themes and giving a little bit of a ranking. I gave the guys a little bit of a homework assignment when it came to looking at those themes and we're going to talk about what our favorites or any of the standouts are from that list. Uh, but before we get into my masterclass episode here, we are going to, of course, go into our usual segment, what you're listening to. And I it just as we were talking uh, before we started the record, Anthony's got a particularly fun one to talk about. So, Anthony, I think you should kick us off. Sure. Uh, being the morbid person I can be, I quickly let it out that uh, what I've been listening to is a wondry podcast called Dr. Death. And this uh, is essentially a th season about doctors in the States who have uh, killed or maimed patients. And I work in the medical assessment training field. So uh, I guess I have a personal interest in this, but it was a little bit of a dark take because I was at my parents. It was a very beautiful space. I was at the pool. And then there's just me with my podcast of like, and then he maimed another patient. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, I'm all about balance. So something dark and morbid and a beautiful environment is, is right on brand for me. But yeah, that's what I've been listening to lately. Jeez. <laughs> what about the podcast jumped out to you? Like, is it just the kind of the fascination with the whole true crime genre that's going on? Is it that connection to horror? Like what's really jumping yeah, out to you? Yeah, I guess there's two reasons. One, I finally have admitted I'm a true crime nut. Like I've always been interested in true crime ever since Unsolved Mystery. Mysteries. Ah, uh, classic. I always, like, was fascinated by those true stories of, like, terror, and it was kind of creepy. It just brought an extra element of creepiness to it. And then uh, I've just kind of looked back on some of my interests, and, like, the John Bonet case is a really interesting case to me. It's really fascinating, and I've done a lot of research into it, and I don't know what it's like, but I am fascinated by that. So there is the true crime aspect to it. Also, I love the Wondery production. I really, really enjoy their stories. I love their sound design. I love the clips they use. I love how they write and how it's structured. It is a little bit of a dark, depressing subject. But they also have some other podcasts that I really like. One called um, This Imagined Life. And it's all about telling a story and like narrating somebody's life. But they don't tell you who it is. They'll give you clues as to who it could be. And along the way, you can guess or you can try and figure out who it is. And 
then as they get closer to the end of the episode, they reveal who it is. I've just always been interested in Wondery. I think they're a really fun podcast. I don't know what network. You call it. Network. Yeah. Thank you. There we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what I've been listening to a lot lately. Not necessarily music, but I've been jamming on my podcasts. Very nice. I don't know, Anthony. That kind of seems on brand. I mean, you <laughs> right? in like some cabin with like horror verbiage going yes, on. Yes. I mean, you know, it's it's that almost sounds like cliche for some slasher film. <laughs> yep, I loved every second of it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right around twilight, Anthony's oh, yeah. outside sharpening the axe, and then, and then in my... comes Doctor Death. Yes. Oh, that's exactly what. Like, as soon as I saw the name of it, I was like, "Hmm, I'm gonna definitely see this through." Very nice. But yes, what about you? What have you guys been listening to? Oh man, that's sort of loaded. Actually, not a whole lot of uh, new music since we last spoke. Uh, Hiatus Coyote's album, which I think I mentioned the last time we got together, uh, has taken on new life. So I've been listening the hell out of that. There were a bunch of uh, secondhand vinyl that I picked up and cleaned off, and I was like trying to get through that to see how it actually sounded once I got through cleaning it. But, you know, those were all sort of more cursory sort of listens just like for snap crackles and pops. And then I decided kind of to revisit Flying Lotus's uh, first album that I happened to have and uh, was uh, just sort of digging on that and that's kind of where i'm at at the moment what's your cleaning process for your vinyl look like there jason oh well it's nothing fancy yet you know again hey record doctor i'm looking for a sponsor um (laughs) but uh until then it's just one of those manual plastic box things where you sort of spin the record around in it with like brushes and stuff like that um and then put them on a rack to dry have you ever tried the elmer's glue have you ever seen that no but actually that well i've seen some things like that recently for like removing dust in other contexts that seem kind of like a good idea i wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that on the vinyl i just would have to make sure that it wouldn't do anything weird to it but i've seen stuff like that i keep on seeing it and i never am brave enough i was like i never have any vinyl that i'm willing to sacrifice that i was like i'd never i I guess i should buy like a one dollar record but even then sometimes i find one dollar records and i'm like "Mm, you're so kitschy Yeah, it is possible to find gems amongst those. So yeah, you know, every now and then I'll be like on Amazon and like there's that like sort of glue putty stuff uh, for like cleaning one's dash and whatnot. And I'm like, you know, I get the principle. It's basically one of those big canisters of slime that we played with as a kid, more or less that, you know, maybe some extra chemicals for non-stickiness and, you know, there, there you are. But no, I haven't actually pulled the trigger on anything like that. Well, I'll jump in here with my what I'm listening to, and then I'll we'll take a break and we'll jump into the masterclass. But I've got two things. So the first thing is very specific to the podcast. I've been listening to the tracks that have been released from the most recent Dune movie. 
So Hans Zimmer, I think three of the tracks have come out since the new trailer is released. Anthony's nodding along. Uh, they sound amazing, and it sounds like the soundtrack's going to be crazy, and they're going to release three albums worth of music come official OST release time. So that has definitely got me really excited. The new trailer looks fantastic, although I wasn't expecting the little bit of humor that has been kind of inserted into the movie via uh, Aquaman there, which is, I cannot recall his name for the life of me off the jason top of my head. moa momoa yes very there you go jason momoa yeah so the the movie looks great um so that'll be really interesting and the music sounds amazing but i mean i'm a hans zimmer fan from his nolan stuff i'm not surprised that i'm enjoying these tracks here at second thing that I've been listening to completely off topic and I want to start this off by saying that I believe the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that disco music sucked <laughs> so what? I've been I've been listening to I the see DGs. what you did there but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening to the DGs which is the Foo Fighters covers of the <laughs> Bee Gees songs from the Saturday Night Night um, or the what's the movie Saturday wanna, Night Fever? Thank you, Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. <laughs> uh, so they covered five of those songs, including uh, "How Deep Is Your Love" and "You Should Be Dancing," and they put out a couple official videos. But they've just done some amazing covers. They aren't rockified version, which Foo Fighters is known for. I mean, we've got Dave Grohl fronting that band, but his vocal range can hit the Barry Gibb vocal range, which is impressive. And they do it very true to original. And they just have, they seem to just have a really good time with it. So I've listened to all five of those tracks and they are just a blast. And I think since that has come out, that's where I've kind of been seeing people go, well, disco has always been good. Like the seventies when they, they were coming to an end and there was all these, oh yeah, bring your disco records to the ball diamond and we'll crush them and they'll, we'll destroy them. There's been a lot more focus paid to that as being not so much an anti-disco movement but an anti-lgbtq movement in the u.s and canada and anybody that was or any place that was doing those disco destroying nights and i think since obviously since then there's been a lot of progression but now with what the dgs have done and releasing that it's kind of brought that conversation back to the forefront with fantastic music to accompany it which is really lovely that is so weird because I was just thinking of the Disco Sucks movement mm -hmm. and the current disco discourse that is happening around that because I've always known it was an anti-queer and anti- uh, or and pro-racist. Yeah, it was... You mean a whole bunch of people lined up in Comiskey Park in Chicago didn't give it away? <laughs> I'm just saying, oh, as a Chicagoan, I can good say call. those sort of things. Yeah, no, I... It was like, I'm glad you pointed that out because hell yes, disco is amazing. It never went away. Uh, it just went underground and got even gayer and more beautiful. And uh, I'm really glad that there is this final admission of, yeah, that Disco Sucks movement was hardcore run by the conservatives. They did not like us having that much party fun. 
Well, uh, on the subject of disco, I I have a lot of admiration for it because honestly, you could easily trace disco sort of as an evolution of funk, but also as the sort of precursor to uh, house and hip hop, of which I am huge fans. Both of which, you know, owing its roots to uh, different aspects of how disco is often structured. It never really went away, but there's very much a, a new disco uh, movement in, you know, sort of the club scene now, it, it, well, for a while. And yeah, actually, you know, I mean, this is one of those things, I think, as a nascent bass player that I can appreciate even more. It's like, even when I hear random disco songs that I've never really have been on my radar before, I'm like, wow, these groove really hard, and the bass guitar mm-hmm. is a huge part of it. So all that to say that disco's pretty sweet, and i nothing but a fan on it. And, I, you know, I mean, obviously we are uh, focused on less of the music in general and more so the music to specific types of, you know, what have you. But, yeah, I could talk about that stuff all day. I think we will definitely have to do that. I've been fortunate to have grown up in a very pro-disco family. I would be more than happy to talk disco further, but it's nice that there's this little bit, this little nugget that's come back into my life uh, mm. with, with what the DGs has done with those uh, Saturday Night Fever tracks. I, cool. I I really enjoy the DGs. Like, I think that's... It's Dave Grohl. That's what it. It's it funny. worked. I it's just really, I figured that out. Really I just funny. figured out that this morning. <laughs> Well, there we go. There's what we have been listening to. I think what we'll do is we'll take a quick little break here, and we will jump right in to, I guess, my Masterclass episode. Well, bring it, Professor. back from our break and it is time to start our third and final summer of 2021 masterclass episode and that is going to be mine on the rpg genre uh so anybody unfamiliar with the genre we're going to be talking about role-playing games specifically ones that speak to my childhood which is uh those for the nintendo and the super nintendo specifically though we're going to be looking at um the rpg video games from the game developer squaresoft now known as Square Enix or just Square. Uh, And we're going to be looking at a pretty specific uh, time range here. But before we begin, I do want to get into just a quick little definition about what the role-playing game genre is. So role-playing games existed long before my introduction to them, which was back in kind of those early to mid-90s when I first got uh, my Nintendo Entertainment System, or NES for short. Uh, I talked a little bit about my uh, my introduction to video games uh, in one of our previous episodes. I was a kid, I believe I was seven or eight, and I came home, and there was the box, massive box filled with my NES. And I believe I had seen a Nintendo well before. I wouldn't know how I would have known about it without seeing it and I believe it was with either relatives or friends and I did see some amazing visuals and and heard some amazing sounds and just got right into it so my parents uh, relented and got me uh, me and my sister our NES way back in the day and one of those first games that I saw a friend play was Final Fantasy and of course this was back in the era of game trading so I would borrow that from my buddy and get into it and learn what an RPG was and really get a sense of it from that 
first Final Fantasy game, which I'll go into in depth here in a bit. But before even the video game started, RPGs existed in tabletop form or PC form, uh, early kind of iterations of PC games, um, really sort of kicked off just this this love and this wealth of rpgs that would then drift into the video game console uh, era but of course those early pc games were influenced by um, tabletop games like dungeons and dragons uh, things that really focused heavily in a fantastical element we would typically look at final fantasy games as being very sort of rooted in that sort of fantastical tolkien-esque sort of location and era so we're talking wizards and magic users very steampunky with kind of the the devices that are being built in those areas and i think D had a huge influence on the creators of that uh, as well as the creators of the other uh, rpgs that really did influence final fantasy at the time specifically the dragon warrior series which was a huge sort of um, influence to final fantasy because it was a, a competitor's game and square soft at the time really needed something to bolster their sales and bring that company out of bankruptcy which i'll go into in a minute and i think the dragon warrior series definitely did uh, lend itself to that success. Prepare thyself well, Dragon Warrior. Thy most challenging quest ever awaits. Go with speed, but go with patience. Seek out an arsenal, a dragon scale, a torch, and magic herbs. Use wisdom and cunning to choose thy commands, for the Dragon Lord is a fierce rival. Horrible and treacherous minions all guard the evil one's island castle. Are they ready, young one? Yes, King Lord. And so begins a new epic. Dragon Warrior. Nintendo, now you're playing with power. Uh, of course, in RPGs, actions are governed by specific rules that are set about in the game. Um, with tabletop RPGs, we're talking about uh, you're rolling dice, you're trying to get high numbers in order to achieve certain checks. So uh, if you're trying to be sneaky, you roll your d20 and you get a high number ideally and you proceed with the action that you're trying to set up there. Um, so that happens with video game RPGs. There's kind of a random number generator uh, hidden behind in the code, and it's always generating new numbers, and you're kind of basing who gets to battle first uh, on those numbers or finding random items or, or receiving items uh, or gold pieces from battle. So there's always that sort of game of chance element that definitely lends itself heavily to the tabletop um, elements of it. Like I mentioned, there's tons of different settings with Final Fantasy and, and D&D being very sort of medieval fantasy but we can be drifting all over the place there's like neo-noir future with um, cyberpunk games games that really don't sort of focus almost like a Blade Runner-esque style of setting. And in the case of a game that I've talked about previously, Earthbound, we have a very sort of 1990s Americana setting, which is really kind of revolutionary from the video games that I used to play. We had a kid just with a baseball bat and a yo-yo running around his town, like rural-esque American feel to it. And I think that it's one of the most beloved uh, RPGs of the, the Super Nintendo, if not kind of those early console eras. And uh, it's definitely has has held on strong and true ever since. And it, it's just I think it's because it's so outside of what you typically saw with your Final Fantasies or your Chrono Triggers or things along those lines. So um, there's definitely a lot of different places and settings that you can play around with in this uh, genre. So there's lots of uh, really great elements there. But of course, the specific focus here is on Final Fantasy, which does focus more on that sort of medieval, fantastical magic users, dragons, superpowers sort of era, but drifts away 
away from that in later iterations of the game. So I think what I want to do is kind of just dive a little bit into our personal histories of our interactions with RPGs. And I kind of did talk a little bit about mine with that first sort of interaction with Final Fantasy on the on the NES and, and receiving that game uh, through a trade with a buddy and really diving deep into it. I got real into the style of game. If I didn't quite understand the mechanics at the time as to how it kind of worked uh, i just i really enjoyed the setting i enjoyed the battle structure that there was kind of this pace to it where well yes it's turn-based and when we whenever we see kind of classic sort of action movies and we see big battle scenes and why isn't everybody just ganging up on the protagonist all at once Does, doesn't that kind of there's power and numbers sort of deal everybody's waiting their turn i kind of liked that when it came to the final fantasy games when i was younger because i think i was learning about the genre and getting myself paced and and understanding how the the situation was but I think for me, it was just this idea that there was this immense story and map all unfolding in front of me. And you would learn about all sorts of different elements and, and different sort of creatures and races and locations. And there'd always be really great antagonists built into the game. And, and there was this quest that I always liked in my pop culture when I was younger. I'm a huge fan of the Goonies because I like that idea of a quest, a band of heroes, misfits usually to the, the ruling class of the area and then you would allow them to be successful you would see their success in their journey along the way and i think final fantasy really did allow me to kind of act that out kind of the point of the role-playing genre is that you are playing a role you are essentially playing all of the main characters in here i think there's real great sort of embodiment of yourself into these characters into these games at least for me that's what i was doing when i was young but i want to open the floor to see uh your guys's interactions with rpgs if any by all means let me know what your what your thoughts are i could just launch in so for me for the longest time and hopefully this doesn't get me kicked off the podcast but for the longest time i avoided rpgs in any uh incarnation because of the tabletop scene like i really didn't understand that whole sort of subgenre at the time and i really didn't for well all through school like rpgs just sort of had this weird mystique to them and i kind of avoided them like the plague for my you know adolescent sort of life now what changed that oddly enough was pokemon Folks can debate on the merits, like how that fits into the whole RPG genre. I mean, it truly is an RPG, but it's not, I mean, compared to some other things I've personally played later, it plays and it's structured quite a bit differently than most. Having said that, I mean, there are creatures you level up and you, you make lots of decisions about uh, how they're going to be. And it's actually a pretty intense scene for those that are kind of really deep into it. You know, all you have to do is help watch like some of the annual competitions or whatever that Nintendo hosts to see how f deeply folks are in it. But after that, after I think that sort of cherry popping, if you will, that sort of opened my eyes to other games that I would have not otherwise probably visited before. So 
Then it got me deep into sort of like the Dragon Quest world. It got me into the Tales series, starting with Tales of Symphonia uh, on the GameCube. Then, you know, once I was kind of like picking up uh, games for, you know, the DS and the, the 3DS kind of heavy, it also got me into some of the Mario RPGs, like uh, the Mario yeah. Luigi series, the mm-hmm. like the inside mm-hmm. Bowser sort of um, mm-hmm. stuff. I didn't play all of the Mario RPGs, but definitely like some of the Paper Mario series. Um, like it, it got me into those, and I, you know, definitely was feeling all of that. So that's kind of, you know, I mean, since then I've played a couple of the Final Final Fantasies that came out on like either the DS or 3DS. I can't remember which. Attempted a fair share of uh, RPGs that I didn't really get into, like Bravely Default or what have you. But yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at now. And, you know, I mean, I think it's probably safe to say that a lot of even some of my favorite games in other genres have lots of RPG elements in them. So, I mean, even, you know, I, I don't think anybody would race to call Zelda an RPG, but, it, you know, it's kind of picked up some of those elements along the way. So here we are. So, Jason, are you saying that our, our sister podcast, Even the Roll, our live action Dungeons and Dragons podcast isn't going to take off too well with you? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no Thunderbolt. No, no Thunderbolt. Like, yeah, that's, that's not me. Jason cast Magic Missile. Yes. I just want to give a big thumbs up to Even the Roll as a sister <laughs> podcast name because that's like 10 out of 10 right there. Thank for you. Me. My RPG experience is very similar to Jason's. Like, I was introduced to the concept of of art role-playing games as a pre-teen teen and it for whatever reason just overwhelmed me like there was just this fascination but it also just i think the lack of a visual and it all being in the imagination was a little bit of a block for me i am a very visual person so i really couldn't wrap my head around the concept of what you're taking turns and then uh, the concept of have following a script and a narrative and that for some reason was just really i couldn't wrap my head around it but that was until uh super mario rpg legend of the seven stars <laughs> That was a breakthrough for me. I think it, all it took was a cherished childhood character and place them in the RPG universe, introduce the concepts and the tactics in their own way. And I was on board from day one. Like I was like, Oh, I get it now. Like, this is so great. Oh my God. I can play as Bowser and peach. And anyway, that game is just a still 10 out of 10 for me. I'll come back to the YouTube walkthroughs quite frequently just to throw it on in the background. It's like 10 hours long. I'm like, Screw your Netflix binges. Put on some Mario RPG. But that's just me because I am a hootin' square nerd. But that really was my introduction to RPGs. And as Jason said, like the uh, Mario RPG universe has always been my preferred genre. So I followed all of the Paper Marios, all of the Mario and Luigi's Partners in Time, Inside Bowser. The other um, offshoot game that I have kind of semi-followed was the X-Men Legends on the PS2, I think. 
Um, and it was all about the X-Men universe and the comic X-Men universe in an RPG style. And those games, X-Men Legends and X-Men Legends 2 Rise of the Apocalypse. Ooh, I played the shit out of those. Those were really fun RPGs that, again, I really like pre-established canon material. So I love the Marvel Universe. I love the, you know, like specific brand universes. I really get into that. And so once you dive into that in an RPG way, I really get into it. And you can play as four different characters. You play as villains and heroes together. So that X-Men universe in the RPG style was, again, another thing that I really, really enjoyed. And then it wasn't until much later, and I'm saying like three or four years ago, that I really started to get interested in live RPG role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons and other imaginary tabletop games that I've actually started to explore now. So I think I've spoken briefly about my Carly Rae Jepsen RPG that I played, which again was like a, I seek out very familiar (laughs) brands and people. And then once I get into it, I'm like, this is really fun. So the RPG for me has been a little bit of a late blooming story where I'm getting into it more now, even as a genre which leads me to my experience with Final Fantasy, which is, mm, don't hate me, but I hated it. It scared me, and it was weird, and there was like, I didn't understand anything with what was going on. So I avoided it like the plague. Um, And still to this day, I really have no interest in it. But today for research, I decided to watch a playthrough of the NES. Oh, damn, I'm a convert. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, one of the first things I noticed was the gameplay. Mm -hmm. In that you set up your actions all at once. And then you go, and all the turns happen at once. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's good. I really like that aspect. And that, to me, is, you know, for a 30-year-old game, I'm just now seeing that aspect of it was a bit of a mind-blown moment for me, where I'm like, oh, I really like the action gameplay. And so, unfortunately, because I had such a preconceived notion about, or I had no preconceived notion about what RPGs are, I'm now experiencing Final Fantasy for the first time, and I'm like, I think I might check out some of these games. (laughs) So... The wow. beauty is that we have access to watching the individuals mm. kind of break down the systems and the mechanics that go into each of these games. I think a ton of people are going to be able to relate to what you just said, Anthony, the relatability about a pre-established canon of individuals like the the Mario games, like Super Mario RPG kind of opening up the door for you and allowing you to kind of see that and to kind of latch on to a new way of playing games because you're familiar with a lot of the characters and a lot of the systems. Like going into an item shop in Super Mario RPG, you know, all right, I know what a mushroom does. I know what coins do. I know what a fire flower does. So now I can utilize them in the mechanics of this game i think that makes complete sense and i think jason to to your point and i appreciate both of your comments no matter what your preconceived notions or or lack thereof were on rpgs i just i uh, appreciate just being completely open and honest about the idea of rpgs in general jason i think what you were saying or pokemon completely opened up the world to a, a whole new demographic of individuals to take a look at rpgs slightly differently whereas you're not the person doing the fighting like you are bringing along characters like pokemon and a wealth of characters i mean i don't know how many pokemon there are now at this point but like there's this idea of like utilizing the different strategies because of the different pokemon types against us and i think that's uh that's a simplification of elaborate mechanics that have gone into the final fantasy series in a really brilliant and unique way 
play. So I think there's great sort of depth and wealth in introducing it in a, a more simplified version through the Pokemon series and allowing even more of, uh, of players to embrace a, a really sort of... I, I don't want to say controversial, but I can say controversial because RPGs have, have caused controversy in, in the world. I mean, there's tons of like satanic connections to very religious groups uh, looking at Dungeons and Dragons and having issues with that. But I think the more of the controversy comes from just the complexity and the, the in-depth nature of RPGs and how they can have these really elaborate systems and confusions and cause issues. And then tying that to the tabletop experience that you were kind of talking about there, Jason and Anthony, both of you talked about. I think there is really some stigma around that sort of in-person component of RPG playing that can definitely rub individuals of the wrong way or maybe just give you sort of a, a little bit of the willies when it comes to well I, that's not what i want to get into but in getting into rpgs through a different means you can understand and, and maybe appreciate the elements of how some individuals got into it from the get-go from a very sort of non-video game component of it different strokes for different folks is basically what i'm trying to say here is that there's tons of different ways to get into a, a genre that brought that stretches and spans so many different ways of playing and i think now we have the sort of full wealth of the internet to to be able to watch people expand upon different things and, and educate us on how to play these things or just allow us to enjoy it as a viewer. Thank you both for being completely open and, and honest in regards to your personal histories there. I really do appreciate that. Let's take a look specifically at Square. So Square is the company behind the Final Fantasy genre, which is definitely what speaks most to me. It is the RPG um, game. Those are the games that have affected me so heartily ever since I started playing video games and, have, and really sort of got me into RPGs specifically. And I, I don't think we can get away from talking about um, Square or Squaresoft at the time that it was called uh, and talk about their history because it's kind of an interesting way that they got into uh, video game making because originally Square started in October of uh, 1983 as a computer game software division of a company that made power lines and this was kind of that sort of boom of video games that a lot of these companies were realizing that they could easily start manufacturing things uh, fairly quickly and cheaply so they were all trying to come up with different divisions and, and ways to really focus in on video games. So in 83, we've got this group that started off as Squaresoft. They were officially called Square Co. And they were spun off kind of into their own company in 86. So three years later, this company was kind of creating its own sort of brand, but failing miserably. A lot of the Square company games were huge failures. And what they did is they had this one last ditch effort. It was putting all of their eggs into the Final Fantasy basket. And that's kind of where the name came from, actually. Final Fantasy, originally I believe it was called Final Fight, but they eventually settled on Final Fantasy. They wanted to play with the alliteration of the title, so that was one of the inspirations. But the other inspiration was that this is it. If this doesn't work, this company is going under. It is our final game, so why not call it Final Fantasy? And that's kind of always been the fun thing with the Final Fantasy games. It's like, well, we're on Final Fantasy 18 now, or 
or I believe we're on 16 now, not really the Final Fantasy, is it? It's always this keeps on going, going, going. But originally, that's how it really kicked off. What really inspired the game mechanics and the game itself was seeing the successes of the series that you mentioned, Jason, the, the Dragon Quest series. Their competitor, Enix, they created Dragon Quest. They saw huge successes there, so Square followed suit with Final Fantasy. And originally created by Hironobu Sakaguchi, he got involved because he'd always wanted to make an RPG. But Square's leadership team originally really restricted his video game creation, and they felt that an RPG would be a huge failure, but this is their last-ditch effort. They've got no other real recourse. There's nothing else for them to do. They have this enthusiastic Sakaguchi who's really interested in creating his game, and they've seen success from their competitors with Dragon Quest. Finally, Sakaguchi was given the permission to create a game, but with a really limited team. And we only see, I believe it's, seven specific individuals who were brought together to create Final Fantasy 1. And we're talking like this is the A-team of individuals here. So we've got people like um, Hiroki uh, Itu, Masanori Utsa. We have Nobu Uematsu, who is our music composer. We've got just some unbelievable individuals coming in here. And Sakaguchi even brings in Yoshitaka Amano to do artistic and character design. And the designs for the early Final Fantasy games, very sort of classic Japanese style, feel very sort of artistic and beautiful. Beautiful. And this this team will not only make Square a success, but they will be kind of the forefathers of the RPG video game era, uh, along with the Dragon Quest uh, creators, and really sort of usher in this brand new world of RPGs moving forward. And they influence everything for decades and decades to come, which is quite impressive. As the game was being produced, People were still really against the team, but they were able to produce Final Fantasy. They were really able to put everything that they wanted into it, and they saw huge successes from it. Uh, it was released on the Famicom system, so that's kind of Japan's name for the for the Nintendo, in 1987. It was ported over to uh, Nintendo of America uh, in uh, 1990, and really it, it was a, a pretty big success right from the get-go. We've got now this first Final Fantasy game released. Uh, it has now spawned tons and tons of sequels, spin-offs going off from those sequels, sequels upon sequels, which is really interesting. And we get to really sort of look at a huge chunk of time, basically from 1987 to the year 2000, where the Squaresoft, Square Enix um, heyday was really sort of being had. And that's really what affected me the most, I would say. So at some point, Square merged with Enix, so competitors now become the same corporation. And you have this really sort of fantastic team producing these amazing games with Uematsu really leading the charge with the, the musical side of it. 
specifically what I want to focus on here, though, is, of course, um, Nobu Uematsu, who is the music composer for the video games that Square produced. And Uematsu is this legend when it comes to the music that he uh, has produced for the Final Fantasy series, as well as other games. I'll touch on a bit in a little bit. Here, I want to talk about two offshoots that he had a hand in, uh, but of course the, the main focus here is on Final Fantasy. Around 2000, it seemed like Uematsu was kind of getting to the end of his lifespan, his contract with, um, with Square Enix. Um, and he started to become more freelance, which was really interesting, and he started to drift away from the Final Fantasy series. He would come back every once in a while. He would have his hand here and there, but he was no longer that mainstay for the Final Fantasy series. But for me, uh, I think by the time that he was starting to drift away from the series, I was drifting away as well. So I was really sort of like right in the middle of that rich sort of Nobu Uematsu era, which has hugely impacted the way that I listen to video game music. I've bought these soundtracks i've listened to them constantly i'm really obsessed with all the different elements of it and i think a, a good breakdown of it in a little bit will really sort of help understand what makes up a really sound rpg soundtrack Just one final thought on kind of my personal connections to Final Fantasy before we start breaking down the scores, though, is that for me, uh, I was a Nintendo kid, as I've mentioned tons of times before, so I was able to access these games uh, all the way up through the first uh, PlayStation came out. So Nintendo had a bit of a falling out with Square at a certain point, and Square jumped ship because of lots of different reasons, but I think they just wanted to focus on expanding the games a little bit more, and Nintendo just didn't have the, the capabilities anymore more so square jumped to playstation and sony was just getting into the console game that's when they produced final fantasy 7 where we started to see huge massive games start come out uh, on the disc system that sony was able to produce and i was able to kind of ride that wave all the way up uh, until i had final fantasy 10 comes around and i'm no longer um, connected to the series so i've played one through ten with a bunch of the offshoots there in between haven't come back to it since but i can say that they were hugely influential in in my enjoyment of video games when I was younger, they got me connected with a, a group of friends from elementary school and high school up until university. To bring it kind of full circle, we could see ourselves in the characters that we were developed. As I mentioned about the understanding of the storylines of the, the pop culture and the things that I consumed back in the day, I was a part of that band of misfits. I was a part of the group who was different than the norm, different than the kind of ruling class that was in my community, especially being from Northwestern Ontario. I mean, we were very sort of seen as outsiders if we enjoyed something that wasn't the standard, that wasn't the norm kind of embodying ourselves in the characters that we were seeing in the in the the video games we were playing specifically in the rpgs i think it just allowed us to not only understand that we were controlling the characters and like ourselves but we we were controlling ourselves almost on the screen in the video games that we were playing so final fantasy means a, a ton to me and i think it's given me a, a whole lot uh, in my life in regards to really enjoying video games, really getting to know video game music and really kind of uh, essentially establishing 
what we're doing here now it's allowed me to have that love for a genre that typically gets uh it gets a lot of love there's lots of great communities out there but it's not a mainstream thing and it's allowed me to get together with you two guys in some way shape or form where we can talk about things like this randomly so i i really do appreciate what final fantasy is giving me in my adolescence and up till now even if i'm not directly playing the games i think it still has a huge influence over my life and my my goings on if you will oh don that was really sweet getting verklempt i know i'm getting the vapor oh shucks yeah no i think that's exactly why we're all here and why each of us have taken these like master class episodes uh, and these opportunities to share our loves with each other. And I think that's so profound. And I think that's really wonderful that even, as you say, you don't have an immediate connection to the franchise. You're still reaping the benefits. If you mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah, that's really nice. There's some pretty standard elements when it comes to an RPG score. And I want to take you through those different elements before we get into kind of breaking down some of our favorites or some of the things that we had talked about um, uh, researching in the the wonderful sort of YouTube playlist that I sent you. When when it comes to the different components of the score, there's some pretty easy staples to identify, which I've written down. So there's obviously your title screen score. Your title screen for a Final Fantasy early on was pretty standard. It was a, a pretty typical sort of melodic scale of going up and then back down and then back up and then back down. Nowadays, each of the kind of the title screens has its own sort of theme. With RPGs, of course, you've got battles. So you have your standard battle theme, which is just wandering around the world and you get into a fight. In some different variations uh, within Final Fantasy, you have your boss battle themes. And then you have your big bad endgame boss. So those are two themes that typically when you get to the end of a certain chapter or a certain area and you've got this one big baddie that you're trying to face, maybe the boss battle theme is a different variation of the standard battle theme. Maybe it's something completely different. Usually when we're looking at the big bad endgame boss, that's your final boss, you're ready to finish the game. They have their own different theme. And with Final Fantasy, what you typically see is a play on a bunch of different elements of all of the music that came before it all kind of jumbling together. And that's what I, I sent out to, to you two. And it, within our show notes here uh, in the podcast, I'll link to the YouTube video where we saw all the different variations of Big Bad Endgame bosses uh, and their themes. And we'll talk about our favorites or the, the ones that jumped out in a little bit. But there's definitely that sort of element with Final Fantasy. Maybe not so much the early ones. I believe Final Fantasy 1 just had the same battle theme over and over again. With every battle, ideally you win. So there's usually a victory fanfare. For Final Fantasy, it is pretty standard. It is the that's what it is and then maybe there'll be 
that, but that is pretty standard. And the beauty of that theme, as well as some of the other themes that we've heard, we are right at the tail end of the Olympics and during the opening ceremonies as countries were starting to come out, those themes were played during the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. So we're starting to see the influence of Final Fantasy music and Nobu Uematsu's scores into just weird places like Olympic opening ceremonies. Maybe if you're not so successful in the game, there'll be the game over theme. The big ones, though, I think are what are called the overworld themes. So once you kind of get out of your introductory training ground area, you hit the world map in a Final Fantasy game, and then you'll have this kind of grandiose overworld theme because you've now opened up the world around you and you can now sort of progress to certain places, maybe not everywhere, because there are sort of limitations. Maybe you need a specific vehicle to get to a certain place, or they're maybe putting you on rails a little bit to make sure you get to a specific location to expand the story. But at some point, you are going to be able to explore the entire world and they give you this sort of lovely fanfare music of this is the world that's wide open to you and they do tend to put in a lot of music uh, really great music into uh, just looking at your overworld map and transitioning or tra traversing from town to town or place to place Within Final Fantasy, they have started to do more character-specific themes. So one of the times that I really saw that occurring was in Final Fantasy VI. And we started to see in the soundtracks that certain tracks would be listed as like Terra's theme or Realm's theme, which is one of my favorites. And there were more sort of themes specific to that given character. And again, based on that character's actions, you start to see those songs incorporated into later tracks or maybe even into the, the Big Bad Endgame boss, which... Um, for Final Fantasy VI, when we get to um, Dancing Mad, you start to hear some of the opera um, motifs being built in from Cells' opera uh, involvement. So there's really some interesting things there that start to combine, and Nobu Uematsu definitely played off uh, a lot of different things there. Some of the other elements uh, that I think you find in a standard sort of RPG score, you'll get some town themes. So usually you go into a specific town, it'll have either a generic town theme overall, or it'll have its own specific theme. Uh, I think as we start to see more capacities for more music, because the opportunities have expanded based on the console capacity or memory capacity when, say, you're going from cartridge to disc. Um, you start to see more opportunities to make individual themes for locations or for characters. So something like the Fisherman's End um, theme from Final Fantasy VIII is a very specific theme for that location because it feels very sort of waterfront, harbor, town, fisherman-focused theme, and I think the music really does uh, play well with that. So maybe there's specific town themes, maybe there's just generic ones in the older games. And then I think the final one that I want to mention when it comes to Final Fantasy specific are the vehicle themes. So throughout the game, despite the fantasy nature, you do get some really interesting vehicles. Typically, you'll see things like boats, uh, canoes, or ships. You'll have access to then uh, access the waterways, which gets you to different continents on the world map. Uh, Final Fantasy classically has a love of airships, so they utilize airship themes a lot.
button. One of the big things when it comes to Final Fantasy is the creatures that you get to ride uh, called chocobos. Chocobos are massive chickens, essentially, that you either have to tame or you just have to find. Maybe you get to breed them and you acquire different color chocobos. But uh, chocobos have their own theme. And in each Final Fantasy game, the chocobo theme is different. It has kind of a standard sort of motif to it, but that has probably been some of the most contentious music within the Final Fantasy series because they've taken some liberties with chocobo music where they'll be it'll just be kind of your standard theme or maybe they'll do something very beachy that maybe they'll have some really twangy guitar in there maybe it'll be samba maybe it'll be kind of influenced from other world uh, music but it, they've they've definitely had some hits and misses in in that sort of um area i didn't want to do chocobo themes with us maybe that's something later on down the road we can rank our favorites or least favorites but those 10 tracks i think pretty much make up the heart and soul of an rpg specifically a final fantasy rpg soundtrack the rest of it fills in the spaces you'll have kind of your interstitial music you'll have your fillers here and there but basically you're looking at your titles your battles your travel your world map your characters and your towns as kind of being your pretty standard tracks there for themes uh i yes i think you did a really great breakdown of a rpg soundtrack and looking at the homework you gave us to look at the tracks i now see where each of those like titles and like genres of each of the songs fit in now especially when you said the town music i'm like oh right town music is always a staple for me i always yeah it is a thing it's like i always think of the different town music that i uh, i think of when i uh, play rpgs that is i think for me the only thing that maybe in those like that sort of breakdown of like the rpg music that i feel like maybe you missed some of the more notable ones that i've played seem to always possess a plot twist or two in the story arc and i think in almost all those instances I can readily think of, there's usually some accompanying sort of sad, twisted music to go along with that. That's sort of like, oh, this is what was really going on. Oh, the horror. Oh, the humanity. Like, that sort of felt, uh, follows along with that. That would I would say that's probably the only other element that I would maybe point out to that usually catches my attention because I, I think of all the really great games and some of them really do have some like heart twisting moments in it and usually it also has its own music specifically for those points very true that's a very good call and i think that's a, a huge gap that i missed especially in final fantasy if we we talk about final fantasy 7 the death of a beloved character is is really sort of pinpointed with this beautiful track that is really poignant and is utilized extremely well later on with something like Final Fantasy Advent Children, which is kind of a anime movie where they revisit Final Fantasy VII characters and they really utilize the music to a, a really emotional point there. So thank you for for picking up on that. That will be number eleven on the list there that I dropped. <laughs> the the plot the plot thickens track for sure.
but I think I'd, I want to just touch base a little bit on some of my favorites before we get into the big bad endgame bosses here. For me, there's some pretty standard soundtracks that jump out because they just speak to me. Final Fantasy VII, of course, Final Fantasy VI, and Final Fantasy VIII. Those scores really do hit really nostalgic spots for me uh, because I was really at those formative years and they really were fantastic soundtracks. And I think the music really was able to expand and grow with the growth of technology, but also the growth of, of Nobu Uematsu as a composer. And the beauty is that we see kind of that transition from cartridge to disc system with Final Fantasy VI, VII, and VIII. So VI is still on the cartridge, it's still on the Super Nintendo, but you you have like three CDs worth of music coming out of something like that. And you start to see the individual character themes and really sort of haunting tracks. Specifically, I think about Phantom Train as being one of those tracks that demonstrates a really dark period in the game where you see one of the characters, Cyan, he, his family's been poisoned by Kefka, the antagonist in the game. And you see them sort of boarding the Phantom Train, which is carting people into the afterworld. And there's this really sort of haunting melody to it. And I, I think that's when we start to see video games starting to become more artwork and more sort of accepted and embraced in kind of standard pop culture because it is eliciting motion, uh, emotion, and eliciting sort of really powerful feelings when it comes to tying it to music and tying it to, to the storyline. Um, of course, some of the character themes are amazing. Terra's theme is fantastic. But I, as I mentioned, Realm's theme is one of those tracks that really sort of jumps out. And Realm is a younger character. And there's this childlike wonder to it. And there's this really beautiful sort of woodwind um, uh, sound to it. And I, I think that um, Nobu Umatsu is definitely expanding with Final Fantasy VI, I could say it's probably my favorite and it's his masterpiece, while others would probably say Final Fantasy VII is. I, I think VI is definitely amazing work that he has done and was really at the top of his game when he produced a soundtrack like that. Um, Seven is fantastic. Seven has a wealth of music and it is that transition to a newer console, so he was able to do a lot more with it. And of course, we've got more capacities to include vocals, as we start to see with One Winged Angel, there's lots of choirs there. And then as we drift into Final Fantasy VIII, which is actually one of the best-selling Final Fantasy soundtrack because of, I think, a song called Eyes On Me. Never say my songs on the stage on my own. Never said my words. The, those are definitely three that really stand out for me. But of course, the other tracks that I mentioned, the other uh, video games that I mentioned that come out during the this peak sort of golden era of Square is um, Chrono Trigger and Super Mario RPG. Chrono Trigger is a video game that I've mentioned in the past. It is a Square RPG. It follows a lot of the same sort of principles of a Final Fantasy RPG. It still has that sort of active time battle system. It has the like menuing and item shops and all that. But it's definitely a different setting with a different set of characters and an amazing score. Nobu Uematsu has a huge hand in that score 
with supporting the actual composer, uh, who I believe I talked about had some significant health issues creating that score because they were focusing so much time and effort on it. Uh, they gave themselves really significant health problems because of it, and Nobu Uematsu comes in to, to support that. <laughs> Super Mario RPG is another Square-developed game specifically focused with um, Nintendo in mind. So Nintendo came in and really supported Square in the development of this because they are using some famous Nintendo characters. So Super Mario RPG is this first instance of taking the Mario characters and putting them through their RPG paces. So you do get to battle as Mario, as Peach, as Bowser, and then you introduce a, a few more individuals into the canon like Gino or Malo and you really get to kind of look at Mario in a completely different light. The music for that is unbelievable, I would say. And the score for that game was done by an individual named Toko Shimomura, and they were able to rearrange classic Mario themes. And again, it's that, as you mentioned, Anthony, the familiar canon coming back into play here and allowing people to kind of access a familiar group of characters in a new new light, basically. And they were also able to take Final Fantasy themes and kind of blend the two together. And they were able to create these amazing original compositions with these two sort of influences combined. They have unbelievable music. And Chrono Trigger, I talked about in a previous episode, I don't need to go further into to that but super mario rpg has i believe some really amazing tunes is an artist. He is a, a musical virtuoso and what he's able to do with a medium that has been sort of slandered for such a long period of time. I mean, classically, Steven Spielberg at some point said, video games can't be art until they make people cry. And I think Final Fantasy VII is one of those kind of shiny images as being that first pinnacle of, that's a video game that made people cry, so it's now shifted from just being video game to being art. But I think what we will do is we will stop sort of the general Final Fantasy conversation. There are better podcasts out there that go through video game history and have really detailed Square Soft, Square Enix, that whole situation much better. I would point everybody to Retronauts. Retronauts is an amazing video game podcast and they go really, they do fantastic deep dives into a specific topic and they have done tons on Final Fantasy and they've done tons on specific Final Fantasy video games in the series. So go and listen to their episodes because they do some really great work. What we do here is we like to rank things at times. Mm. Uh, Jason, I pulled this directly from you and what you did with um, Naruto Shippuden and listening to their op opening and ending themes. I wanted to get you guys to listen to a playlist of big bad endgame bosses from Final Fantasy 1 to Final Fantasy 10 and uh, I specifically just wanted you to listen to the originals. I know there's lots of offshoots in that playlist when it was like ported over to DS or to 3DS or whatever and they changed the music slightly but I thought we'd just look at the specific originals and we'd get a sense of what stood out for you. We can do this Olympic style if you like hmm. for the gold silver and bronze if you just want to say your favorites or least favorites something that jumped out by all means go ahead and let me know but yeah whoever wants to take the floor jason if you've got one okay pass it over to you well i mean trying to follow your instructions i did go and rank all 15 in terms of like you know bronze wow. silver and gold 
But I can tell you, I mean, maybe to not bury the lead and just sort of give the audience, to the extent that they care about my opinion at all, which ones uh, stood out to me. The three that I gave gold to are uh, Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VIII, and actually Final Fantasy XI. Maybe I'm going to preface this by saying something kind of unpopular here. I, I know we've talked about a lot of 8-bit games, and you know some of them do have really cool music. I think what I discovered, especially in this exercise, is that I'm a more of a fan when it comes to 8-bit music to the extent that I, you know, like it, of the more simple melodic sort of elements. Like I, I think about some of the songs that, like you know, sort of got me uh, as a kid or whatever. Like the ending of uh, Super Mario Brothers 2, in terms of just sort of like the simple, peaceful, or even, you know, I mean, even some of the playthrough. It's not that that music was especially complex. It's more so that it was just sort of like really soothing, for lack of a better word. And what I found when I was going through, especially like the NES versions of some of these, it wasn't until like later in that console's life or like the transition to SNES that it's like, okay, some of these melodies I actually, I can deal with. Uh, these are cool and frankly not grating. Yeah. So, I mean, for so for the first handful of, I, I think, I can't remember, I didn't mark down in my notes which one actually sort of transitioned from NES to SNES. But what was kind of interesting to me is some of those early games, you could tell that they were experimenting with certain effects. Like, for example, in Final Fantasy II, that's the one that decided to use an echo. You know, there was sort of like the music, and then there was sort of like this trailing sort of like whatever the opposite of crescendo is in the music that I thought was kind of cool. Then Final Fantasy IV, I put down in my notes, it's like, oh, they're playing around with a channel separation, and like, okay, this is going to happen at the right or the left or something at a particular point in time. Final Fantasy V was the first one where it's like, oh, this actually, I could pick out things that sound like actual instruments here, like... You know, I could pick out a bass, I could pick out, you know, the different elements, whether it was a synthesizer that was just like playing sort of bass or, you know, like there were a few things going on. It was like more like, oh, okay, this actually sounds like normal music to me. But anyways, yeah, those those three were the ones that stood out most to me in, in terms of just being the best. For Final Fantasy VI, I think what I appreciated about it was the use of contrast in that particular uh, music for the ending. Um... I, I think a lot of these just sort of went in, you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of, like, big and brash, like, right at the outset, and I wasn't necessarily liking that. Like, I mean, I think of all the games, not just RPGs, but, like, all the games, I kind of like when there's a sense of drama, and I think Final Fantasy VI's theme at the end for the boss kind of had that. It's kind of like, oh, you know, stuff's about to hit the fan. Like, okay, I like, I don't know what else was going on in the game at that particular moment, but, like, maybe somebody's cat got kicked or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like all these, like, these little events leading up to like what is about to be really bad. Um for 8, uh, also it's it's kind of about that build up. I definitely, I wrote, like, a slow and steady build-up. Um, one thing that I noticed about this song, maybe more so than anything else on this list, is 
it reminded me of house music in a way because usually you know you have the song that starts out a particular way you may get eight bars in and there's a little tiny change that happens and then you get another eight bars in there's some other element that's added to it and then like you know it sort of builds up until the drop and then like you know all hell breaks loose in terms of like what happens next in the song that's kind of what happened with that i could like i could literally oh this part's this little tiny element's new okay now they're introducing this and also it kind of reminded me of tubular bells I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it definitely sort of gave me those sort of tubular bells from The Exorcist sort of feels. And I was like, okay, I can dig this. For Eleven, I just like all of the tension in that particular theme. I mean, you had like the the drums in the beginning, then you had like these, you know, the strings and the synth uh, synthesizers coming in or synthesizers that were playing sounds that sounded like strings. Like, you know, there was like all this stuff going on. It was just really, really cool to me. And definitely a lot of drama in that. And I could definitely easily picture some generic end boss scene that's like, you know, again, a lot of despair and desolation sort of in the lead up. And then it's like, okay, now it's time to do business. Like, let's put in work. Nice. Good selections. Anthony, how about yourself? Um, I made notes, but my cat Zelda has decided to lie on them. Aw, Zelda. So I'm gonna now, like, take the book from under her while she's sleeping. One second, Zelda. Oh, yeah! Okay, I did it. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> this is basically like the Raiders like moment where Indy's getting ready what? to swap yes. out the idol. Yes, excellent. Nice. So, I uh, also went through quite a lot of these because I didn't understand YouTube's breaking up. And then it wasn't until I looked at, like, the full list. And I was like, oh, they're the video games listed. It's not, like, every... Anyway. So, it took me a little bit. But there are a couple that really jumped out for me. But instead of starting with the ones that I loved, I'm going to start with the one that I really didn't like. Ooh. And I... Like, went through each of these, and for the most part, most of them are really good. Like, I really enjoyed the evolution. I like how they kept certain themes, or they changed them and incorporated them in different ways. It was a really, really well-done soundtrack, in my opinion, just based on this small list that I listened to. But the one that I really didn't like, and then I was like, ooh, mama no like, ma oh, no, 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 this leaves a bad taste in my mouth, was Final Fantasy Twelve. Um, no, I didn't like that. It was, for whatever reason, it just was a bad sound, and it was different than the other ones I found. It just, I don't know, it was a really weird departure for me, where I was like, everything seems to, like, follow a certain flow, and all of a sudden with 12, it was just like, and I heard a record scratch. That's all I can come up with. So yeah, that was the one I really didn't take to. But I would say the gold medal 
that I would give was for Final Fantasy V. That one was my favorite. I gave that one a, a gold star right off the bat. I really loved the... And uh, Jason, I think you spoke to this. It seemed like at Final Fantasy V, there was a switch to real instruments. Or like it wasn't just the 16 or 8-bit sound. There actually was instruments that I could pick up in it. Um, and so that, to me, was a really, really standout. That it was really caught my attention and it really just captivated me that like each of the variations of it too i was like yeah i'm i'll listen to this on repeat i really love that And then my silver was Final Fantasy VIII. That's actually Final Fantasy thirteen, not eight. So rather than oh. a V, it's an X. Oh yeah, it's really good. Oh, I really sorry, like that sorry. track. No, no, don't worry about it. X, not V. I didn't. Yep. Watch <laughs> I haven't watched the Rockies yet. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's- I don't know what was going on at that time, but I was really digging that song. It was very, uh, yeah, I don't know. I liked even how it built differently from the five, Final Fantasy five. And again, because there's so many different versions, I really liked where it went. And I liked, it was, I also liked the name. I also liked the word Requiem. Usually like Requiem for a Dream is one of my favorite soundtracks. So there's a lot of good things that usually come with a Requiem. I mean, for what it's worth, I I put that one as a silver for me, just because it and it felt very Disney esque, just in terms of that sort of standard Disney cinema feel, like for a lot of their stuff, like it, it felt just like that. Agreed. And then my bronze, I'm given to Final Fantasy One, the OG Wonder Swan. I like again from having that playthrough that I watched. Um, I really liked that song, and it was funny to hear the different versions. I think it me- reached peak for me in the Game Boy Advance version. <laughs> But I really like that, just that original, simple, but very effective theme of, yeah, like you said, up, down, up, down, up, down. But I don't know, I kind of like that stuff, and that 8-bit is my jam, so I really, really enjoyed Wander Swan. I'm sorry you had to go through all of them, or a good majority of them there, but uh, I think it does show that the evolution of a game and the evolution of the music and allowing it to kind of switch up because the the Final Fantasy V um, track that you mentioned, like it drifting into the Dissidia, um, I think it's it really interesting. It takes that track from SNES into completely different places, and I think they do some really fun stuff with it. So I didn't like Final Fantasy One. So whether it's iconic or not, I it it, it was a it was a bronze for me. For five, I had it as a silver. I I did like the fact that, you know, like we've both talked about at this point, that there was like that clear instrumentation. Um, I I think it's a huge difference. Yeah, it does. Like, I don't know. It just it it just at that point, it felt I think that was the first time it really felt like 
true music to me, like something, but yeah. My list is pretty basic for my history with the games. I think where I really played the games the most, I went seven, six, eight. Those were my my one, two, and three. Seven hasn't been mentioned yet, so One Winged Angel is a classic. I don't think now it's the best. I think I'm giving it the, the gold or the first place here because of what it means to the series, what it means to Final Fantasy fans, and kind of what it has, how it has continued on ever since. So it's getting a little bit of like the brownie points for just history as opposed to performance. It's called almost like the, it, it's getting elected into a Hall of Fame for sports, maybe not so much for its overall career, but maybe just had a few really solid years where it did unbelievable things, which is, I think, One Winged Angel definitely did for, for Final Fantasy VII. Six, uh, Jason, I'm with you. The buildup, the emotion that goes into that, and I can tell you from experience, that was the game where we had talked about video game rentals and going to the rental store and Anthony's adult curtain area. <laughs> um, that was the game that I constantly played. I would rent that over a weekend, and I would start from scratch. I would never have like saved, well, we couldn't save and like take it away we couldn't hold on to it like when we had the playstation and, and memory cards it was all embedded into the cartridge but i would rent it and i would start from scratch and i'd work my way all the way through it and it usually by the end of the weekend i'd get to about that halfway point because i was trying to do everything one weekend i just went all the way through and i got to the end and it was kind of like the 12th time i had rented it or something like that so for several weekends in a row i'd finally gotten to the end and that build up of that music and just the intensity that you feel and, and finally facing kefka in his final form is unbelievable so that track slaps for me it is unbelievably great and eight again it's that build up to it but a little bit different it's i think with dancing mad in final fantasy 6 there's that kind of organ and then the, the opera comes back in and it's a little bit more intense i get jason what you were saying with the tubular bells feel to it i think there's almost that sort of we'll use silence and we'll use quietness to build this up even more and to really get the emotions going and then it kind of launches into it which i think is really cool so yeah seven six eight are my list and uh, i think for any sort of individual of my age who has kind of had the same experience with final fantasy it's hard to get away from those but there are uh, of course other classics in there five is fantastic um listening to 13 on this list i'm, I'm i really appreciate it and i appreciate how how far the genre has come and i think it does really great things but there are some stinkers in the group i will freely admit well i'll only st uh, stoke a little bit of controversy and just say that i wasn't feeling seven so much i mean while the, while the Scandal. sound quality had taken a <laughs> tremendous like step up it was way too much on the synthesizers like it was mm. all synth like and you know what hey I, I i love like synth pop and a whole lot of other what synthesizers contribute to uh music but that was just too much it was you know like more cowbell man just like <laughs> give me give me something else but uh I think I'm with you. You know, obviously I, I said I liked 11 a lot with the exception of 13. Like I think 12, 14 and 15 were kind of really stinkers and 15 in particular. I, I put in like my notes for this, that it didn't really even feel like boss battle music. It felt like the lead up to the boss battle. Like if that Good makes call. any sense, like it, it does. Um, Yeah. So it just, it kind of didn't do it for me. So. 
10 specifically, I don't think does anything for me, especially with kind of the way that 10 sort of got me out of the genre itself and got me away from what they were doing. Jason asked me a question before we started if I had played all of the games and 10 was about the game where I started to really lose track of Final Fantasy for several reasons. I mean, just me getting out of console gaming for a period of time and getting into university studies, really focusing on that. But also the mechanics just got too complex for me. I just could not follow it anymore. And I talked about how seven, the materia system I think was ideal. Eight was starting to get a little bit out there for me with the the way that um, you had to attribute AP like uh, points to specific areas and learn different abilities. I think that was just, it, it's just not my thing. I was more simplistic. I'm more simple-minded when it comes to my mechanics here in video games, but um, 10 just did nothing for me. And I don't think 11 or 12 did either. I'm really interested in exploring uh, the Final Fantasy franchise now. And now that I, uh, I don't know, I just getting over that uh, preconceived notions I had, uh, I think is going to allow me to experience the the genre, uh, or sorry, the series in its mm. own way now. I'm excited. There we go. I think we can end there. I think there's lots of great RPG music out there that I really do encourage people to go and listen to. I just wanted to kind of cap it off with Final Fantasy is definitely a series that a ton of people know, but maybe not so many people enjoy or know as in-depthly. And if we can shed a little bit of light on one specific component that we really do enjoy, or that I, at least I really do enjoy, um, the music side of things, I'm more than happy to, to share that out with everybody. And I just appreciate you guys here today listening to me drone on for however long we've been recording at this point, but also partaking in and listening to a little bit of music here. And I think maybe we'll do it later on, maybe with those Chocobo themes, like I said, they can be controversial and fun. But I think for now, we can kind of close the book here on Final Fantasy. And I think on our Masterclass episodes for the summer, I think it was a good idea to to take us through doing some more in-depth stuff. But I think this is a, a great time to just shed a little light on us individually. And uh, I just appreciate you guys listening to me and, um, and partaking as you did. And um, for anybody out there who really loves the Final Fantasy music genre, definitely let us know and go ahead and uh, and participate in our active online communities twitter and instagram we are at even the score pod uh, we do really love communicating with our listeners or interacting with people who have listened to the episodes who are sharing our episodes we have a ton of our podcast friends our potter and family who also shed light on a lot of their different perspectives everybody's got their niche market and we really like to, to intermingle wherever we can so we know that we're going to hopefully hear a lot of really great things from our fellow video game music podcast or just music podcasts in general if you want to send us an email go ahead and send us an email at even the score podcast at gmail.com we do want to hear from you we do also want to hear from you not only through our email and our social media accounts but also through rating and reviewing our show that's the way that you really help us get our show out there to more and more individuals and you can find even the score at uh, on any of the podcast apps of your choice apple podcast
Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you want to find us or wherever you want to listen to us, we are there. If we aren't, definitely let us know and we'll get ourselves uploaded there right away. But what we need you to do is to rate and review our show. Give us a five-star review. Tell us what you really like about it and share our episodes with other individuals that you think would really like listening to us three chatter on about whatever random topic we want to talk about here on any given record. I think that will do it for us here uh, for this episode. Of course, I want to thank Anthony and Jason, as I've already mentioned, for listening to me drone on for quite some time. Thank you very much to you both. Thank you, Don. Well done. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Don. Cheers, everyone. And thanks for listening to uh, the Even Sore podcast. Take care. that I looked up the Super Mario RPG original sound version CD that was released back in 96 and it's currently selling for $1,458.18 Canadian on Discogs. Wow. So you're going to buy three? Uh, at least. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yikes.